So I would even say to listeners maybe who say, well, I'm dealing with a divorce situation or we're having family problems or there's alcoholism, there's mental illness, whatever it is going on in the home, aim your heart at Jesus and kids will see the trajectory of your heart. Welcome to this week's First Person, where our guest now is Sean Thornton, who will tell us his story of growing up in a home that was all but normal. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and you'll meet Sean, who is now a pastor, in just a moment. It's great to have you with us again this week. A reminder that anytime you can't join us on radio, you can always listen on demand at firstpersoninterview.com or by using our smartphone app, which is available to download free from your app store. With the app, you can download any program for listening anytime in the car, at the gym, or anywhere. Well, Sean Thornton's mother, Beverly, was injured as a young girl in a car accident and thereafter suffered violent mood swings and uncontrollable fits of rage. At other times, she was a sweet and gentle person who loved the Lord and was a caring friend to many. Well, this is the home that Sean and his brother grew up in, and he tells the full story in his book, All But Normal. Sean sat down with me in the studio recently, and as we talked, I asked him if he understood as a boy how difficult his home life was. I think it took me some time to figure it out, and maybe I'm just now figuring it out at almost age 50. But Writing a book will do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that process really does do it. And, and as people read it, they say, do you know how crazy this is, you know, or how out there this is? And I think, well, it's my normal life. But, but in a, I, I did begin to understand that it was abnormal as I began to age. When you're a little kid, and I think that's why my heart has a lot of empathy for kids who grew up in abusive homes mm-hmm. or of uh, ch- children of alcoholics and things like that. Because when you're a little kid, you don't know any better. Mm-hmm. God's wired your heart to love your mom and your dad. Sure. And so you have no other point of reference. You have no other point of reference. And so it was normal. And then it got to be a point where it wasn't quite normal. And so I started saying to friends when they would come over from school or whatever, now before we go in the house, I want to tell you, my mom, I had this little speech, you know, <laughs> I'm eight years old. I'm giving a speech about my mother's car accident. And she, the house is messy and she might throw some things and yell, but just stay out of the way and she'll calm down. And I give a little speech. But then I got in my early teen years. And that's really when it really began to affect me deep, deeply. Because that's such a tough part of life, you know, to be going through puberty and you're 13 or 14 trying to figure out who you are in the world. And I started to really understand that, yeah, we weren't as normal as some of my friends and uh, mom's issues were pretty severe. And then when she was, when I was 14, taken uh, into an institution, I really realized it. But you know, when I got to my late teen years and early college years, I started to realize all the people I wanted to be in their lives and live their lives and in their homes Mm -hmm. and their families, they had problems too. I started to realize we're all broken. And I think that was a part of God shaping a pastor's heart. Mm. And so, yeah, we, I knew it as I aged, but, but right early years, it was, it was my normal. All right, let's go back. What happened to your mom? Well, my mom uh, was in a car accident when she was 14, and uh, she hit her head on the dashboard. And from the moment the first ambulance arrived, uh, she was unconscious. And uh, here's this 14-year-old girl. There are no major broken bones, no, no ma- major places of bleeding on her body, no other obvious things other than that she must have hit her head on the dashboard and she's knocked out. And she stays out, n- never wakes up for three months. Wow. So she turns 15 in the coma. And uh, when she does wake up, she has to learn to walk and talk and uh, sometimes even breathe all over again. And, and this is an era when they don't really no. understand brain injury, do they? No, they didn't even really call it brain injury. 
there's so much mystery around it. This is 1962, and so also there wasn't a lot of physical therapy. So she did some things in the hospital for a couple of weeks, and then they sent her home, and basically their instructions to her parents were, the instructions were, um, you just, like you, when she was a baby and she crawled on the floor, you just get her to crawl and just go through all that again and she'll be fine. Well, you, when you learn to walk like that again, you have balance issues because you did know at one time what balance was, so you know the fear like a child doesn't know of falling. Mm-hmm. So you get developed balance issues. She had a stiff, uh, like walk, her gait was very labored and stiff and some people thought she had had polio as a child, you know, that kind of a, see, yeah. uh, you know, somewhat of a, not quite a limp, but a, a unique gait. And so then not only were the physical limitations there, even fine motor skills were, were challenging, but she had mental difficulties, emotional outbursts, personality changes, emotional swings that came with that. And so that then affected all of our lives. But having said that, I mean, she fell in love with your, yeah. your dad. Yeah, who they was married. the driver of the car. Right. Which adds another layer to this. Yeah. Um, but she had you boys. Yes. And so there must have been some normal days yes, along there were, the line. Yes, there were. And recently my dad, my brother, and I were doing a question and answer time in a setting. And someone you know, said, is this, is this what your everyday life was like? And I said, no. My dad wisely said, remember, Sean has written a book with you know 200 pages uh, that you can read in six or seven hours. We lived this over 30-some years. I see. And uh, so it wasn't every day. It might have been every other day. But what was every day was you didn't know what that would be the day when mm-hmm. she'd have an emotional outburst. She'd, it was volatile. Yeah. Or or, de- or she'd wake up and wouldn't get out of bed for three or four days with a depression. She went both ways on on uh, in terms of her emotions. And yet at the same time, she loved the Lord. She deeply loved Jesus. Tell me about that. You know, my mom led me to Christ. To this day, I would say my mom is my greatest spiritual hero. That and, brings a chill to me right now. Well, it, it's true. And and uh, you, if you knew my brother and my dad, you would also understand most people who know us would say, okay, my brother is more like my dad and I'm more like my mom. Just you know how that happens when you're mm, in, a, in a home growing up. So I have a, a, a clear link to my mom. But my mom came to know Jesus as a child. And even before the accident, her sister said she was the one interested in spiritual things. She was That was when Youth for Christ was really big and it was very active in the South Bend, Mishawaka area where I grew up and where mom grew up. And um, she went to the local Youth for Christ even when she was too young to go. She kind of just came along and uh, was was very active. And it was in a Youth for Christ group that she was asking people to pray for her boyfriend and her dad to come to Jesus. And she asked them to pray that they would come to Jesus in any way possible. And what's cool about that, only God can do this. While my mom was in that coma at age 14, turning 15 in the coma for three months, she didn't even know it, but that coma and the accident and all that experience was used by God to draw my grandfather, her father, to Jesus and her boyfriend, who became my father later, uh, to Jesus. And God answered that prayer from those Youth for Christ meetings where she'd say, pray with me that God will use me in any Remarkable. way. So here's this woman who loves the Lord and uh, brings you to Christ herself. Yes. But at times, I mean, you literally were diving under the table oh. to avoid the, the, the what? Yeah, I mean, some of the things that happened in our lives, uh, we'd just be sitting having dinner at a small kitchen table. It was a very small home, blue collar. My dad was a factory worker, very simple place. We're having dinner, you know, hamburger helper or something. And dad might say something about, well, the noodles aren't quite done. And he wouldn't say it mean or whatever, just say it. And it would set my mother off because she had these emotional swings and she could be angry and sad, you know, within split, split seconds of each other. And she'd start throwing things, and Dad would say, dive under the table. And sometimes, because her fine motor skills weren't that great, as she'd grab an object real slowly and she'd pull it back, 
then so you had time. I had time that I would disarm her, if you will. And I, it sounds silly, but yeah. it was a big deal in our house. Of it was course, a, it was a regular yeah. part of the routine. And then things like when she get upset in the car at high speeds, or, you know, high speeds, she'd try to jump out of the car, and we'd have to hold her in. So how from this sweet person who loves the Lord, how do you get to that? apart from damage to the brain. Oh, it was damage to the brain. And, and what we didn't know growing up in the 70s, and it wasn't until the mid-80s that Dad started figuring out by reading some articles and things like the Chicago Tribune, the, the uh, South Bend Tribune, and Time and Newsweek, he started seeing these articles that talked about traumatic brain injury. He'd read and he'd say, oh, wait a minute, that's what Bev has. That's what my wife has. And he clipped those articles. And when he got kind of a mass of them, and I was off in college, he showed them to me when I was home one time. And he, he says, here's, here's what your mom has. And we'd been to doctors and psychologists and pastors. And, you know, mom had tried everything. And she had physical struggles as well as mental. And so she's going to all kinds of resources. And we always came back with nobody could really help her. And everybody said they could, and then they'd be exasperated when they, they couldn't. And once we saw what traumatic brain injury was, and dad started reading, and it was pretty early because traumatic brain injury wasn't, wasn't really identified as TBI, traumatic mm-hmm. brain injury, mm-hmm. till 1978 or 1979. And now we hear about it all the time with football. Yeah. You know, men and women coming home from Iraq and Afghanistan over the last several years. Concussion protocols. Concussion protocols, mm-hmm. all of that. But dad started to realize, okay, we've got something here that they, they couldn't see at the accident. They couldn't see when she woke up, but it's real. And, and in the midst of her brokenness, my mom really loved the Lord. And I think her brokenness, which sometimes left her marginalized even in the church— drew her to people who are marginalized. I just want to ask you about that. That that deeply touched me when I read her story through your book, uh, how she was drawn to people that perhaps the rest of us might not be drawn to. Yeah. And and sometimes I was uncomfortable with it. You know, early on, I was very uncomfortable. I didn't know how to deal with the child with uh, cerebral palsy who might have come into our church just because came with an aunt or somebody one time, the small church I attended. And mom, you know, would not be shy to just walk over. She wouldn't like beeline over immediately, but you'd see mom within a few moments drifting over to this girl and loving on her and talking to her and showing her dignity. And mom would do that with the lady with the wig off to the side, you know, with the smeared lipstick who had some issues and personality things. Mom would talk to her just as much as she'd talk to the pastor. And um, I learned a lot about that. I mean, that taught me a lot about how Jesus would love people. And I saw it in my own mother. And, uh, and so I think in some ways, while she was broken, the brokenness uh, shined an even greater light on the ways in which she lived out her faith and she lived for Jesus. And, and it made it even stronger for me to follow her example. Your mom is with the Lord she loved now. Yeah. What happened? Well, there was a there was a, a day when she was 52 years of age. It was an average day for mom and dad. My brother and I are out of the house. We're married. They've got grandkids through their two sons, and uh, uh, we're living in other states. And so they're going through their normal routine, get, get up in the morning. Dad goes off to the factory where he worked for 40-plus years. And mom, mid-morning or whatever, goes to take a shower. And uh, she would sometimes let the tub fill while she was taking a shower. And apparently, uh, she slipped and hit her head and drowned in just a little bit of water. Mm. And dad found her when he came home at the end of the day, and the water was still running. And he thought he could try to revive her, and he couldn't. And and at the same time, I, I, I remember dad expressing to me as I was putting together the book, and we were talking to him, my co-writer and I were talking to him. Dad said, you know, though, I realized I'd made it. 
my commitment to the Lord to love her and to care for her. And he said, I was always worried how she would age. So in, in, even though it was tragic and Mm -hmm. boy, we ached and, you know, sad, sad end that actually a blow to the head, knocking her unconscious causes her death after 30 some years later. Uh, but, but dad also saw, you know, maybe God was sparing her from, cause she was getting stiffer as the years went on with physical things. Her emotions were still uh, quite volatile and um, so she's with Jesus, and now she's not struggling with any mental, emotional, or physical challenges. Think and, about that. Uh, yeah, and she's 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 free of all of that. And I, I long for the day when when I will see her again. We'll continue talking with Pastor Sean Thornton about his life story growing up as a boy. It's coming up on First Person. This is Ed Cannon, president of the Far East Broadcasting Company. As you listen to this week's edition of First Person, can I remind you to take a moment and visit the webpage, firstpersoninterview.com? Click on the FEBC banner there, and you'll hear stories of God at work in the lives of people touched by the programs produced by our dedicated staff. We take Christ to the world through radio and new technology. For more, go to firstpersoninterview.com and click on the banner for FEBC. My guest is Pastor Sean Thornton. Sean has written an excellent book. It's called All But Normal. I can't remember the subtitle. Life on Victory Road, because I grew up Victory Road on a, a street called Victory Road. And you've gone back recently. Yeah, I have. What's and that like? It, matter of fact, I startled the neighbors. <laughs> the one lady who lived by <laughs> us this for all those guy years. Outside. The nurse I mentioned in the book that lived down the street. She she came out. I'm out kind of taking pictures of the house, and she and her husband owned that house, and so I kind of creeped them out. But it was, going back was quite interesting. Why did you want to go back? Well, one, I was with my co-writer, and, we, and I was trying to help him get a setting you know, so we could write this together well. But also, I, I, there's something about that house. I mean, it's still there. Um, what draws us back like that? I don't know. I do the same thing. When I go to where I grew up, I have to drive by the house. Yeah, and a lot happened in that house for me. You know, uh, I remember crying in my bed, you know, wishing I was in some other home. I remember holding on to my dog, lady, just begging God. And, mm-hmm. and, and that's actually kind of where my relationship with God inside that house in those times of great crisis where I began to learn that I've never heard God speak to me audibly. He's nudged me, you know, and I sense his leading and his voice. But I remember God comforting me in deep moments of pain and and sorrow in our home. And so I think I'm drawn there because it was a place of not only family experience, but that's where I experienced God. Sure. And so it's very special to me. I've not been in the house since Dad sold it soon after Mom died. Mm -hmm. You were talking about your dad a few moments ago um, when your mom died and— but talk to me about your dad and his long suffering during all those years of um, of struggle with with your mom. You know, one of the things I, I love about my dad, his name's John. Uh, dad has always stayed on the growing edge. He's a blue collar guy. Went to Vietnam, out of high school, didn't didn't go to college, and he would say he's a very simple man. But he, when he came to know Jesus and began to grow in Jesus, he's kept growing in Jesus, and he was very committed to the idea that love is not just an emotion, that love is a commitment 
where no matter what the emotions are, you continue. And that is what you see. When you read All But Normal, I tried to make sure people understood that about my dad. He's got his own weaknesses in the book. And I share some things about— I wondered about that, yeah, how, how he felt about yeah, that. Yeah, I shared some things about, you know, my dad never told me he loved me, never hugged me. Even I tell the story when my mom dies and I'm going from the airport in South Bend to our house— I don't know if I'm supposed to hug dad or not. I don't know if we'll do that. And we kind of give each other a side hug. And, <laughs> you know, but since he read the book, every time he says goodbye to me now, he hugs me. You know, I, I follow you on Facebook and you often post pictures with your brother and your dad. And I sense that. Yeah. I sense this is a, there's a closeness that you have now, isn't there? He, he, we always had it. It's interesting, Wayne. We always had it because we shared this bond, the three of us. My brother's three years younger than me. We've shared this bond that we experienced mom's brokenness in that house. And we weren't, none of us were perfect at handling it by any means. But we shared this bond. And so we've always been close. And I've always known my dad loved me. But he, he, he came at it from an approach of criticizing first. And I think I talk about the first sermon I ever preached. He waited to the, the end of the line at church and, you know, everybody else was complimenting me. I'm like 16 preaching my first message to a congregation. And, and dad comes up and tells me it was too long. It was too this. It was too that. He didn't say anything positive. Thanks, dad. Yeah. But he, he was, he's been with us uh, out in California the last week or so. And I was telling my wife uh, the other night just before I came here to, to Chicago area, um, I said, you know, Dad is being nice to me. He's complimenting me. And I think when he saw in the book, not I didn't communicate out of bitterness and not out of uh, hatred or because I know my dad loves me. But I think he saw, and, and I, I value that about my dad and his determination, as you were talking about earlier, is he's not only determined to love unconditionally and as a commitment, not a feeling, but he's also a man who is committed to growing. And he saw in the book a few things that I said, and he asked me about them a little bit, but we've never had a real discussion. He's just changed in our relationship to shore up those things because I think he looked at it and he goes, okay, I didn't see it, but from the boys' perspective, they saw it this way. You boys weren't the only ones to grow up. Yeah. No, he grew up a lot. I watched him grow a lot through that. That's insightful. What kept him in the marriage? You know, there are probably a couple things to that. I think there is an angle of guilt. Remember, he's the driver of the car. And even when he goes off in the military, he was not drafted. Matter of fact, he entered in the military just before anybody heard of Vietnam. He was in Korea in the demilitarized zone serving. And they said, hey, if you want to go home for a few months, then we'll send you off to this new place called Vietnam. Oh, boy. And he thought, never heard of Vietnam. How bad can it be? You know? <laughs> he volunteers, but he gets to go home. He gets married. And I think he wrestles while he's in the military before they get married uh, while he's in Korea. He's just wrestling with, am I in love with her? Which I am, but am I doing this out of guilt? And so I think... Part of it, he felt a deep sense of responsibility for the accident, and yet he did love my mom, and uh, their love grew deeper over time, even in the conflict and brokenness, and even the times he mishandled how to really love her and to care for her. Uh, he was deeply committed. I think part of it was um, obedience to God, yeah. uh, to love the way uh, Christ loved the church. Um, I don't. I don't know that I've loved my wife the way Christ loved the church, or I don't know very many men who have, as Ephesians five tells us to but do. But you've had an example. But I've had an example of it. Yeah. And not a perfect example of it, but a a consistent example of it. Well, from reading your book, I admire your dad. 
I really do. Uh, he, he's turned out. I was surprised. He's kind of the hero. People want his autograph. He's he's stunned. He's telling his wife he's got paparazzi he's, now. He's and, enjoying that, isn't he? Oh, he is. He is. <laughs> um, go deeper on growing up in the home that you did and how that's prepared you for what God has called you in life to do. Well, one, in the foundation of our home, my parents were very committed to Christ and his church. And uh, my dad sort of had a very simple approach. If we're going to follow Jesus, then we better hang out with his family. So we were there Sunday morning, <laughs> Sunday night, Wednesday night. As a matter of fact, my dad became the part-time custodian. So we were not only there when the church <laughs> doors were open, we were there when they were locked. Yeah. Um, but that commitment was really important because that, that little church, Twin Branch Bible Church in Mishawaka, Indiana, became an oasis for us. And I think it was an oasis for mom. She was often calmer there because I think she just found solace and peace there. And then my parents themselves, uh, my dad would take a, a daily bread from radio Bible class, and he'd put it in that black lunchbox that he carried in the 70s. It looked like the Herman Munster lunchbox, you know, with the thermos in the top. And he'd let that, that uh, daily bread curl with the thermos, and at lunch, you know, a young factory worker with a couple of boys would pull out his daily bread and read it for the day, read the scripture, and keep it right there in his thermos so it had the shape of the thermos. And then my mom, even though she, on my dad's way out to work, would scream and holler and throw things, and they'd, it'd be a knockdown, drag out until he was off to work. Then she'd calmly sit down at the end of the kitchen table, open her Bible. She had a little prayer list, and it took her, you know, five to ten minutes to write one name. And she would pray for missionaries, people in the church, sick people, family members, and she'd read her Bible. And we'd get up after, we'd hear them making all that noise when dad's getting ready for work. And there'd be mom just with her Bible and a highlighter and uh, maybe a book by Chuck Swindoll or somebody she'd be reading as a devotional. And she's just walking with God this woman who had all of this brokenness and chaos. Despite all the trouble, you had models yeah. to follow. Yeah, in and, so many ways. Yeah. And that no matter what happens in life, uh, good, bad, or ugly, you keep leaning in on Jesus. I've been asked by a lot of people, how did you and your brother turn out both to be pastors and you never really walked away from the Lord? Most people would walk away from the Lord. You know what I think it is? We weren't watching the individual moments of our lives growing up or the collection of moments. We were watching the trajectory of our parents' hearts. And the trajectory of our parents' hearts, both of their hearts, were to know, love, and serve Jesus Christ. And that came out crystal clear. So I would even say to listeners maybe who say, well, I'm dealing with a divorce situation or we're having family problems or there's alcoholism, there's mental illness, whatever it is going on in the home, just keep aiming your heart at Jesus and um, don't panic about the individual moments. I mean, don't, you know, protect your kids and everything, but aim your heart at Jesus and kids will see the trajectory of your heart. That's such great advice. Coming from our guest, Sean Thornton, who knows what it's like to overcome difficult circumstances at home and experience the healing that comes from following Christ. Sean is now the senior pastor of Calvary Community Church in Westlake Village, California, and it's not surprising that he has a heart for children as he serves on the board of Awana. The book that tells Sean's story is called All But Normal, Life on Victory Road. We'll put an informational link to the book at firstpersoninterview.com. I'd like to thank the Far East Broadcasting Company for their support of First Person, allowing us to find and bring you these stories each week. FEBC's extensive broadcast ministry in nearly 50 countries of the world has seen remarkable results in terms of people of many cultures turning to Christ and learning His Word. Your support of FEBC is vital to those who may otherwise be unreached. To help, 
please click on the FEBC banner you'll find at firstpersoninterview.com. And I hope you'll plan to join us next time when you'll meet a woman who served a 12-year prison sentence but returned to that same prison as a chaplain after her release. Jennifer Smith will be with us next week. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Please join us next time. We'll see you then for First Person. First Person.